Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. All right. Good morning, church family. My name is Sam Slayton. I am the Deacon of Hospitality here at TDC Argyle, and my wife and I and our three daughters uh, became members here very early on. We've been here since the beginning in March of 2020 um, here at TDC Argyle. Today we're going to be reading uh, verses from the book of Romans. If you'd like to join along with me, the Bible in front of you, page 884. Be in Romans 2, 6 through 16. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On the day, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks, Sam. Uh, grateful for you. Uh, my name is Brad. If you don't know me, I'm the campus pastor here, and I'm, I'm honored to open God's word with you. Um, so we've been in Romans, in the book of Romans, and the series title is, is Justified. We're, we're looking at what, what it looks like, what it w- would take for unrighteous, unholy people who have rebelled against God to be justified before him. Uh, that's what the book of Romans is about. It's, it's a complex theology that's not really meant to be complex. It's just beautifully deep and nuanced, and, and so Paul uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this this letter to these people, and they're people like us in Rome. Um, and so today, he, he Paul begins to show us what it looks like to consider the aim of your life. Like, what what is your life for? Like, what are you doing? What are you living for? That's a that's a hard question to answer. I mean, if you if you were to ask me. Hey, what did you do yesterday? Most of the time, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. I went to our piano recital. Our kids had a piano recital that was cool. And I'm like, I've got to think back. I don't know what I did yesterday. Or if you ask me how I am, which some of you have done, and I look at you stupid, it's not that you're stupid. It's that I'm stupid. I can't remember. I don't know how I am. I'm like I'm in the middle of this thing. I'm, I'm. I think I'm okay. 
you know, by God's grace, I'm alive, I'm good, Jesus is good. And so I, there's kind of this fog of, of life that uh, at least I have, I don't know if anyone is, is with me on this, but we just get in it. It's like running up if, if a point guard is taking the ball down the court and you run up to them and you're like, hey, how's the game going? They're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. You know, that's what life feels like. And what's cool about the Bible is that we, we get to see the big picture. We get to see our lives in the context of, of redemptive history, of what God has, is doing and has always done. And so we can, we can see ourselves in this story and have a higher vantage point. And that's what our text is going to help us do this morning, by God's grace. Um, so in verse 6, it says, he'll render to each one according to his works. Now, that, that should put up a red flag to you if we don't mind the depths of what this means. That sounds like if I'm a good person, I go to heaven. If I'm a bad person, I go to hell. It seems simple. That, that he'll render based on my works. And if my, my ledger is good... You put all the good stuff up against my bad stuff. Well, hopefully I'm a better person. And most of us think that we're better than we are bad, which is wrong. But we, we think that it's like this accounting equation, which I did not do well at in school. But it's supposed to, you know, outweigh the bad. That's not what this means, though. Because if you, if you go on to look at the rest, the rest of our text, which is why you let the Bible interpret the Bible... You see that Paul is not saying it's like a, a good deed, bad deed thing. In fact, it's not about deeds at all. It's about the devotion of our hearts. It's not a quantitative measure like how many good things versus how many bad things. But it's a qualitative. It's like what is the essence of your life, the essence of your devotion? What is your aim and so you could think of this, verse 6, according to his works. You could also think according to the outworking of our hearts, of our devotion. In verse 15, it says that the, the work of the law is written on their hearts and that God shows no partiality. That's, that's a, it's really from Jeremiah 31, which is interesting because in Jeremiah, God is saying this to God's people. He's saying, I'm going to write my law on your hearts so that you know what I want. And this is a blessing. But what Paul is saying is, is that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, they have the work of the law written on their hearts too, which is to say, we have the law written on our hearts. We have the blessing of the law in the Bible, but we also have it written on our hearts and on our consciences. And this is why Paul says that their conflicting thoughts accuse them or excuse them. It's like, I don't know about you, but are you ever trying to figure out, like, am I, is what I'm doing justified? Is it, is it in God's will? Is it out of God's will? And so we, we have that, that wrestle. But Paul describes two aims that we could have. There's a heavenly aim and there's an earthly aim. There's a heavenly aim, and let's, let's start there, and that's in verse 7. Those people who, by patience and well-doing, that's interesting, seek for glory and honor and immortality. So a heavenly aim is to seek for glory and honor 
and immortality. Now, is that having a God complex? It's like, man, you want glory and honor and immortality? Surely that can't be a good thing. Well, well, clearly it is a good thing. It is a good aim, in fact. And and just look at the attitude there, the patience and well-doing. What is patience in well-doing? So the, the, the heavenly aimers have patient, resolved endurance. It is like if, if you've ever run long distance and you, 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 in the middle of it, you're like, I have a definite place I'm going and I must press on until I finally get there. It's worth running there. I'm going to keep going. And so it's patient resolved endurance. And that is what heavenly aimers have. And this reminds me of Hebrews 12. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with endurance, looking to Jesus. So Jesus is the end of the heavenly aim. He is what we are seeking. And we run with endurance if Jesus is worth it. So glory, what, what, how could that be good for us to seek glory? Well, it's not that we're seeking glory for ourselves. It's not that we're seeking to shine. But a heavenly aim is to be caught up in the glory of God. It is like vicarious glory or participatory glory. It's like I want to be a part of this majestic power that God has. I just want to I want to just be with him and be near him and experience this glory. Our souls ache for this. And the honor that we seek. It's not wrong to seek honor. I feel like it's it, it's it's like wanting to, to have dignity again. Our world lacks dignity. It's why we just cancel people and slander people and we just we lack dignity and and to to want to be honored is to want to be seen. And to be valued. And that's a good thing. And immortality, don't you want eternal life? Don't you want to live forever? Don't you think about death ever? I was at a funeral this week. I mean, it's like it's just, it's just happening. Don't you want that? It's a good aim to want glory and honor and, and immortality if it is a God-centric aim. If it is aimed at, if we are aiming at God. And so to, to further color this, Colossians 3, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Seek the things that are above. Seek Jesus. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Have a heavenly aim. It's not just to be thinking about transcendent things. It's to be looking at, with the eyes of your heart, the founder and perfecter of your faith. It is to to have eyes for Christ. It's to be entranced by Jesus. Are you entranced by him? Or is he just a historical figure? Is he like Abraham Lincoln or something? We're meant to be entranced by him. There's fruits of this heavenly aim to be entranced by Jesus. It's a wild experience to see someone who is entranced by Christ. We see this in in the story of Stephen. This is in Acts 7. And this has always gripped me. I want you to just look at this. So Acts 7. This guy is being killed for his faith. The early church, a guy named Stephen. Regular guy. Not some, I don't know what you think of super holy people, but he's just a guy who loves Jesus. Look at this. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Stephen had just told these, these religious people, in fact, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You don't get it at all. And so he's just telling the truth. And they're like, okay. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, look at this, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. They don't want to hear it. And they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. That means they threw rocks at him until he died. But before that happens... The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A heavenly aim is a brave aim. It makes you shockingly courageous. Stephen saw straight into heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he knew. He knew that this was not the end for him. So if you think of glory and honor and immortality, he's gazing upon the glory of God while sitting outside the city being pelted to death with rocks. Don't you think you can gaze at the glory of God in your cubicle or your schoolroom or wherever you are? And he knows that he's honored by God, that he's seen by God, that that God is not far off and removed, but that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And that God has not abandoned him while he's being stoned to death, but he is approved of by God because of Christ. And immortality, he's like, Jesus, receive my spirit. I'll be with you in two seconds. 
It's a brave aim to have a heavenly aim, a fearless aim. And not only that, it's a benevolent aim. What are his last words? His last words, he's praying for his accusers. He's praying for his killers. He wants grace for these people. The people that have wrongly put him to death, he's praying for. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus did. The heavenly aim is a Christ-centered and Christ-like aim. It's a brave aim, a benevolent aim. And with this heavenly aim, there is a heavenly end. There, you get what you're aiming at. And so it, we see that in verse 7, those that, that aim at heaven, they, they, they get eternal life, and that is aim at Jesus, not at some ethereal experience of heaven, but you aim at Christ, and you finally get him. And I want you to know that is the place of true happiness, is knowing Jesus, is being caught up in him and being entranced in him, and so that eternal life is guaranteed. Not only that, in verse 10, there's glory being in his presence. There's honor being seen by God, being reconciled by God, and there's peace. There's rest for your soul. There's shalom offered for a heavenly aim that you can finally exhale that you can be in complete enjoyment forever. Because at God's right hands are pleasures forevermore. That's Jesus. And so heaven, I don't know what you think heaven is. I don't know if you have a, a, a top 40 country music song picture of heaven, like fishing with grandpa or something. That's not what heaven is. And I don't mean to demean you missing your grandpa and wanting to, to see him again because there is reunion promised in heaven. But it's not that heaven is just the absence of the hurt that you feel or that it's just a beautiful place. But heaven, the, the, the bliss of heaven is not that it's a place, it's a person. It's where Christ is. And so if you're aimed at him your whole life and you finally, the reward is getting him, it is bliss forever. It is the end of a heavenly aim. You get him. There's another aim explained here, shown, an earthly aim. Verse eight says, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. And so some of us, we just want to make the most out of this life. Or maybe we just want to get through this weekend because it's been a hard one and you're ready for Monday. Or maybe you dread Monday and you just want to get through this week to get to the next weekend. And there's just this sense that things are scarce. Time is scarce. Money is scarce. Life is scarce. And so there's just this sense of like, I've, I've got to get some fulfillment here. And you can find this in various trinkets of the world for a moment. 
You know, like I just want a good glass of wine at the end of the day. Or maybe it's sex. Or maybe it's vacation. Or maybe it's to be noticed. And these aren't bad things. These are good things. But we can make them into golden calves. We can make them into gods. Because these little release points where we find our comfort, where we find our pleasure, where we find our security, where we find our hope, that's your God. So we can overemphasize these little relief valves, these, these things that are meant to point us to the goodness of God. All of those things I listed, meant to make you worship and be thankful to God, but we can turn them into gods with an earthly aim. We can become, verse 8, obedient to unrighteousness. It's not just doing outwardly sinful things, but it is, it is changing God's standard out and putting yours in which is an unrighteous standard. Only God's law is good and pure and perfect and clean. Your standards, whatever they may be, it could be the Ten Commandments. You could say, I just I want to hold to the Ten Commandments. Well, you're, you're okay, you're failing. Or you could say the, the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to stick to Jesus' teachings. You know, I kind of resonate with that. I was like, well, we, we don't, measure up to that. It could be the, the, the law of fair play. I just want to do right by people. I want to be a good person. I want to be a good mom. We don't, our self-created standards, we don't measure up to those either. So we're failing at all standards. And so an earthly aim is just a place of, of failure. It's a place of anxiety. I have this low-grade anxiety that I fight and that God is helping me with. But it's like this, this, this tension in me, like this trouble in my soul. And what happens when that is going on is not just that I have a lot of responsibility or it's not just that I'm busy. It's that I'm trying to be God in my life. I'm trying to take control. I'm trying to manipulate the variable so that I'll be okay or that life will be okay and I'm trying to take control. And it creates anxiety. You aim at earth when you just think about what's going on here in your world and you're like, how do I fix it? You can't fix it. You'll never fix it. You'll never fix your marital problems. You'll never fix your financial problems. God may fix these things. I don't mean you're hopeless. But if you're just aiming at earth, at utopia here, you're going to be anxious. And not only that, you're going to be angry. When we have an earthly aim, what we're trying to do is create a little utopia here. We're like, God, I don't believe you about this heavenly stuff. I don't believe you about this set your mind on things above where Christ is. That's too far away. I want it now. So I'll make it now. And I'll manicure my lawn and I'll curate my children and I'll whatever it may be. But the problem is other people impose on your kingdom. 
This is why we have road rage. It's about us. Why'd you cut me off? Why are there so many cars in front of me? It's like this crazy maniacal thing that we do. Online rants. We're we're seeking justice. An earthly aim is an angry aim, and this is why we gossip about people, and it's why we road rage, and it's all of that. We just get angry because there's traitors to our own kingdom. We're desperate to make this place our heaven. And when other people mess with it, they make it a living hell. So we're angry. We're angry at the traitors to our kingdom. And there's an earthly end to this earthly aim. C.S. Lewis once said, aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. I think that's so true. Aim at earth and you get neither. You get neither heaven nor earth. You get no happiness now, no fulfillment now because you're freaked out and you get no eternity because it's not just an anxious aim and an angry aim. It's an atheist's aim. It's like there is no God and therefore I must be him. And so verse 9 says that there's tribulation and distress. Verse 8 says there's wrath and fury. It's like it's this reckoning that's coming. When we stand before God and he appraises the aim of our hearts, it does not go well with an earthly aim. Our ledgers do not look good. It does not go well. So how do you know what you're aiming at? How in the world do you know? Maybe just by the the, the power of the Spirit, you're convicted right now and you're like, I'm aiming at earth, or, or maybe you're encouraged and you think you're aiming at heaven, but how in the world would you know? Your conflicting thoughts swirl around. It can be kind of perplexing. How do you know? Well, there's a standard. Look at verse 16. It says that God will judge the secrets of men by Christ. So how do you know the aim of your life? What do you think of Jesus? Who is he to you? He is the standard. He is the only way. What do you think of him? Because the truth of the matter is this this judgment is not, again, a quantitative thing. How much did you love Jesus? It's this simple. You can plead innocence before God. And you can say, I was actually better than you're saying I was. And you don't see my intentions. God sees through to every part of you. He knows the words that you're about to say. He knows the thoughts that you'll have in 10 years if you're still alive. God knows everything. He sees all. And so you can plead innocence, but that's ridiculous. Or you can plead Christ. 
You can let his works, verse 6, be the basis of your reward, the basis of your entry to heaven. Don't plead innocence, plead Christ. And and, and so you, you may say, well, I'm still a little confused. So my left eye is, is, is jank. I think I mentioned this last week. I had cataract surgery. My right eye is good, and so there's constantly, I'm surprised I can even read what I'm reading, but it works fine. But that's kind of like the eyes of our hearts, is it not? Where, where there's a little bit of focus, but a little bit of, of blur. And so am I aiming at heaven? Am I aiming at earth? I'm not really sure. But when those secrets are all out, all of your secrets will be out. Every one of them, and mine too, and that's terrifying. Will you be judged based on your record or Christ's? Will the essence of your heart bleed Jesus or will it bleed self? Will you seek for glory and honor and immortality caught up in the person and work of Jesus because you're so amazed at who he is for you? Or will you still be trying to justify yourself? You see, Jesus paid for your idolatries. He paid for your mixed motives. He paid for your earthly aims. He was penalized for all of that. And it was paid in full. And so if you're in Christ, you you don't have to await that day with dread. But you await that day with, with great hope and longing and joy. Because the blood of Christ trickles into all of our complex mixed motives and mixed aims. And our justification before God is not a tryout. Our life is not a tryout. God is not Santa Claus. It is an opportunity to aim at heaven and like Stephen, to see through to it. And so this is a future reality, a heavenly aim. It's a future reality that you can get caught up in, that you can be entranced by. It's also a present reality. To have a heavenly aim is to not have your head in the clouds so much that you don't exist here anymore. That you don't see your people anymore. That you don't live here on the ground anymore. No, but it's to bring that down here now. Not that it's heaven on earth, but that your hope is here on earth. Because the Spirit of God, what He does, He illuminates Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit will remind you of Jesus over and over and over again, especially in your sufferings. It's a present reality. It is not payable on death. It is something that you can live your life by. You can succeed by it. You can suffer by it. 
a heavenly aim will get you through your life with great joy, however long your life is. Hebrews 6.19 says this. It should be on the screen. Maybe. Let me flip there. Hebrews 6.19 says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. A steadfast anchor of the soul. Grounding you, centering you in Christ. It goes into the inner place behind the curtain. That's the Holy of Holies. Jews would know what this meant. It's like the place where God's presence is. It's saying that Jesus brings you into that place of the presence of God now. And he will anchor you. So I don't know what your life looks like. How you're being tossed around. Maybe it's just fine right now. But you can have an anchor of your soul. And like Stephen, you can gaze straight into heaven to the right hand of God where glory and honor and immortality are. So aim at heaven. And let his blood cover, let his payment cover your mixed aims. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you and we, we do confess that, that our motives and our aims are, are, are mixed and they're muddied. But you're the purifier. You do not intend for us to be confused but to be fully devoted to you in joy. And Jesus, I think maybe that's why you said to have a childlike faith where we can just come before you in love and sit at your feet and, and be loved by you and not treat this life as a tryout. God, we know we don't measure up. And some of us are tired of trying Jesus, you are the man of glory, the one who deserves all the honor, and the one who purchased our eternal life. I pray that as we sing now, that Holy Spirit, you would help us to see into that inner place. that wherever our hearts are misguided, where we have idolatries overemphasized in our lives, that we would repent and run from them 
and run to you, God, and that we would be anchored in Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We can praise you with. Would you stir us up in worship now as we continue worshiping in song? In Jesus' name, amen.